Uh, my name is Daniel. For those that don't know, don't, don't know me yet, I'm, I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it's always my joy to get to open God's Word to you. Um, in my early 20s, I, I got a real taste of the world. And um, though some of it was enjoyable to me, I admit, there was a lingering dissatisfaction with every single bite I took. It's a bitter aftertaste. You see, my parents had warned me of this. I'd grown up in church, um, like many of you had, have, and uh, even put my faith in Jesus from a young age. And even though, like the prodigal, I wanted for a season the gifts of the Father without the Father, he kept pursuing me. The Father came to me. He drew me. He opened my eyes to show me that, that I, I can't find any pleasure outside of God. The Father was the greatest gift of all. And how did I come to see that? Well, like any of us, we have a, not a jealous and proud older brother like the prodigal son did, but we have a brother, namely Jesus, who pursued us relentlessly so that we would come back into the embrace of the Father. And ever since I came back through Jesus to the Father, the world didn't have the same allure that it once did. I wish I could just end the story there and say, all is well, no more sin, no more interest in the world for Daniel Simmons. But that is not the story. And I think that the same, any of us could, would say the same, that there's still, we're still prone to wander. Can, you, can I get an amen to that? It's a sad amen. Though it's true, like we learned last week, that we have overcome the evil one and we belong to a different world through our faith in Jesus, the subtle seductions of the world can still capture a Christian's heart. We have a new nature, and yet our sin nature still sometimes craves the sin of the world. We fall back into the patterns of the old man. Jesus knew this well. And he prayed these words for us before ascending to the Father. The Apostle John recorded them in John 17. He says, Father, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. He says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. So, Jesus' prayer here is not that Christians would be removed from the world right now. It's, it's not the idea either that, I, that he would want us to move far away from anything that might smell of the world, as, as some have done throughout the ages. Jesus certainly didn't do that. But his prayer is that even as we are in the world, Christian, that we would overcome amidst all the temptations and seductions of the world. So because today, right now, we are in this world, we live in this world, we need this message badly. We need to hear from the Lord, and we need to know the antidote to the temptation that, uh, that we have to grow fond again for the world. So I want us to dive 
back into the text. If you would, just read along in your Bibles with me today. I'm not going to have the, the text up on the screen, so try your best to, to follow along. You can find a Bible in front of you if you don't have one with you. Verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So the first question that arises for me out of this text is what is the world? And what are the things of the world that John is referring to here? It's important for us to get that right. You might ask, Daniel, I love my family. They're in the world. I love my house. I love my nation. I love my job. Is that loving the world? Is John referring to all the the things of this world, oceans, books, music, food, any other good thing? Is that what he means by the world? Well, I think it's possible that that John is is thinking in that broad sense and that, that he wants to remind us that anything in this world, whether good or bad, can crowd out our love for God. I think it's true, I think that's true, but I think he's after something more specific when he's talking about the world here. Now, if you look at verse 16 with me, you'll see that John describes what comes from the world. He describes the practices of those in the world. That is, it is the desires of the flesh. It's the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. Do you see that there? All that comes from the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. So he gives, he gives one description. We'll dive into that a little bit more in just, in just a bit. But look at verse 17 where, where we get another, another picture of what the world is that he's referring to. Verse 17, John contra- contrasts these practices of the world with the practice of the godly. He says, the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So there's desires of the world and there's a desire to obey God's will. There's there's a contrasting picture here. What the world, what we learn is that the world produces desires that oppose the will of God. Do you see the distinction here? It's, It's the flesh, it's the eyes, it's the pride that drives the actions of those in the world rather than a desire to do what pleases God. It begins to make sense then when you read later in John, 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, that he says, the whole world is under the control of the evil one. The whole world is under the control of the evil one. If you know anything about the evil one, if you've read the Bible at all, you'll find that that this one is the chief rebel and he is leading a great rebellion against God. He models and trains humans to disobey God, to let the passions of the flesh drive behavior rather than interest in God. He fundamentally opposes God, and he's leading others to do the same. So I think John would say that the world is the domain of the evil one where the flesh rules and God is ignored. Let me say that again. The world is the domain of the evil one where the flesh rules and God is ignored. So you can begin to see why this matters so much to the Apostle John. 
matters because God is at stake. Life is at stake. There's kingdoms at stake. Let's go a little deep, deeper in verse 15. Look there again with me where John shows us two competing loves. He's going to contrast the love of the world or the love for the world with the love of the Father. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. John could not be any more black and white in that statement. And this is how he operates in this book so often. He's going to say later in chapter 3, verse 10, that if you make a practice of sinning, you are a child of the, of the devil. He says in 5.12 that if you have Jesus, if you have the Son, you have life. But if you don't have the Son, you don't have life. And now here, in a similar fashion, John says, if you love the world, you cannot have the love of God in you. They cannot cohabitate. They cannot coexist. It's like saying that I can love my wife and love a mistress too. Any of you, I hope, would say, you're crazy if you say you love your wife and have a mistress. John here is saying that if you're in bed with the world, then you cannot have intimate love with the Father. There's a war between the loves here. Verse 16 takes this even further. Look there with me. It starts with the word for, and for is another word for because. So I think it's answering the question, why can't the two coexist here? So it says, for all that is in the world, namely the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. So notice first the answer to the why. Why can't they coexist? Why can't love for the world and love for the Father be together? Because what is practiced in the world, John says, is just simply not from the Father. What, that mean, what I mean is that it has nothing to do with him. What is practiced in the world is opposite of the character of God, the purpose of God. It's opposite of what he loves Instead, what comes out from the world, which is ruled by the evil one, is a system that is utterly opposed to God and what God loves. They cannot be friends. It's like oil and water. So now I want to focus a little bit more on the three descriptions God or John gives of the world's system here. What are the desires of the flesh and the eyes and the pride of life? The desires of the flesh are cravings for physical pleasure. The desires of the flesh are cravings for physical pleasure. But what makes anything, whether sex or food or sleep, ungodly and worldly rather than godly? I think simply put, pursuing pleasure in your own way, on your own time, and without God or in direct obedience to God, makes even good things worldly things. Adam and Eve's sin is a perfect example and and parallels John's three descriptions of the world very closely. If you would, if you're able, turn in your Bibles to Genesis 3, chapter 6, or Genesis chapter 3, verse 6 with me. And I want you to remember as you turn there that 
Adam and Eve were given all the trees in the garden to indulge in, right? God is not a stingy God. He didn't make our senses. He didn't give us these five senses to just say, hey, don't touch that. Don't eat that. Don't do that. That's not our God, right? That would be rather silly if he said, this whole garden is yours. Enjoy with your senses. And then he's just coming to squash us every time we enjoy. No, God wants us to enjoy the world. Yet one indulgence was forbidden by God, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We just went through the book of Genesis. You can look at those sermons and and dive in more there. And he gave one restriction because God has wise and good order to the world that he's made. And he wanted us to trust in his wisdom there. But Eve, believing the serpent's lies, you can look there in verse 6, when she looked at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it says she saw that the tree was good for food. Notice the connection with the flesh, the, the desires of the flesh. Good for food. She wanted it for her belly. I want to be, I want pleasure now. That it was a delight to the eyes, it said. Notice the, the connection, the desires of the eyes. That's, that's something that comes out from the world. It's, it's connected here. And then, Notice that it says that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. This is, again, a connection to our passage, the pride of life. And I'll I'll explain that a little bit more. But when she saw these things, she took of its fruit and she gave also to her husband who was with her and he ate. So we see in this passage that she wanted what would satisfy her belly, what would satisfy the lust of her eye. And she wanted to become wise She wanted to become like God as she was promised by the serpent, yet all apart from God. God had said, this is not what I have for you. And the serpent said, he's withholding. Take, you don't need God. You see, the thing that makes the world's operating system so disgusting is that it twists God's good designs for good things into something that they were never meant to be. The world's operating system, led by the serpent, twists what God has made good and called good. It twists things into evil. Take pornography, for example. Now, sex is one of the greatest gifts that God has given to mankind. Within the context of a safe marriage, But pornography twists God's design for sexuality until it's nearly unrecognizable. Our ability to see beauty and pursue intimacy in a holy way in this world is severely distorted because of the influence the world has had on human sexuality. Right now, the world we swim in has been tainted and twisted. Our understanding of sexuality is broken because the world has twisted it all led by the serpent. And I want to make this note that, that it's not just the world and the devil to blame here. Hear this clearly, church. It's easy to blame other people for our sin, right? It's easy to say, the devil made me, to, made me do it, just like Eve did. 
It's easy to say, say, it's the world. It's the world that I swim in. If you just remove me from the world, then everything will be okay. No, the problem, church, is that since sin entered the world through our first parents, we have a craving, a sinful nature that we're born with, where we desire the things of the world. So the serpent's lies, they're not, they're not all that, that smart. They're not all that clever, and yet we so quickly bite because we hunger for them. We have these cravings that oppose God from the time that we were born into this world, which is why we so desperately need Christ to remake us and give us new desires. Amen? Now look at the desires of the eyes. Now these, two, these first two desires are tightly connected. And this, this also pertains to pleasure, I believe, but it gets at a different element, namely our craving to have all kinds of pleasure that we see. So it's not just wanting pleasure, it's wanting everything that our eye can ever imagine or dream of. Everything that our eye sees, we want it for ourselves. It's the root of greed and covetousness that John is talking about. The human eye, driven by our sinful flesh, it's insatiably hungry for more, more, more. It demands more whether it's sex or food or drink or possessions, wanting the nicer car, the nicer house, more adventure, more experience. And again, church, I want you to know that God has designed us with these eyes so that we can see and behold the glory of God. We can see and behold the glory of the world and we can go and we can be fruitful and multiply in his good plan. That's what the Lord has for us And yet, sin, the patterns of the world, is twisting it and training us to see and take as we please. As we please. Instead of being using these eyes for good, we have become like ravenous animals. We fight tooth and claw to get whatever we want, and you better not tell me no, or I'll bite you, right? That's the world that we operate in. That's why Jesus said the world hates us when we don't approve or practice the things that's being practiced by the world. Finally, the pride of life. This is wanting to appear important or wise, whether with achievements or possessions or your image. We're told in Genesis that Eve wanted wisdom and, and what Satan told her to believe is that, that this wisdom was possible outside of God, that she could have wisdom, that she could have a, a likeness to God without God. It looks to self. Pride of life is not Godward, but it's self-centered. It looks to self in what you achieve or own or the way you look for your sense of affirmation or Accomplishment. So pride of life is ultimately a belief that we can have purpose or meaning or identity apart from God. And again, the Father has already given us that, that amazing position of dignity and honor as his image bearers. But the world tells us it's not enough. You don't need him. In fact, you can find everything you need in a girl, in a boy, in a marriage, in sex, in Stuff, right? We look for, we look for our, 
our, our sense of affirmation and accomplishment by our possessions, our status, our beauty. If you want an example of what this looks like, church, just spend two minutes on social media. Are there, can I get an amen to that? Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? You spend just a minute on social media and you find everyone is calling for your attention. They want you to think that they're cool, that they, they have it put together, right? That they're wise. This is what the world breeds. This is what the world produces is uh, a sense of pride outside of God. In these three categories that John puts down, I think you can, you can, you can place every single sin in this world. The world is driven by a lust for pleasure and selfish gain and glory seeking, and it drives out God out of every inch of life. Ultimately, the world's system is built on sin, on rebellion, which is why John says that these things are passing away, that these things are abhorrent to God. And I don't think that when John says in verse 17 that it's passing away, that he's talking just about rust and natural death. Look, at, look there with me. Verse 17, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. John is offering eternal life on the one hand, and there is a, a death that comes to those who t- partake in the world's system. I want you to turn again to uh, another passage, Revelation 18, if you would, where you see another one of John's writings where he gives a vision that the Lord showed him of the destruction coming on the world. And this is a vision of, he sees, he sees Babylon the Great, which is symbolic of the world. Revelation, it's at the end of the Bible, chapter 18, verse 4. Can I get an uh-huh if you're there? <laughs> All right. It says, come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others. And repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart she says, I sit as queen, I am no widow. In a morning I shall never see. In mourning I shall never see. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. Now, I could camp here for a while if I had time, and one day, I hope we do preach through the book of Revelation. It's a, it's a confusing one, but a powerful book. But I want you to see here that John, he sees the wrath coming on the world. And the reason it says that wrath is coming is that these individuals, those who are, who are part of this world, they live for self. They live for flesh. 
and in wicked pride. Do you see that? They don't see a need for God. They say, I am a queen. I have no need for anything. I will never see mourning. They live in the luxury of the world, all of it in the, in the description of these very things that John has given us. Desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. So friends, I believe with Jesus in this vision, John today is warning us. He's warning the Christian, come out from the world. Come out from the world. Don't belong to it. It devours others. The world lives for self and flesh. It's, it's, it's John saying, run away. This is, these are fleeting pleasures. They will not satisfy you. It will only end in pain. But he also adds a promise in 1 John 7, uh, 2, verse 17. He said, those who do God's will abide or live forever in the Father's ever-satisfying love. Those who do God's will abide forever. So not only does he give us a, a warning, he also gives us this promise of everlasting hope and salvation. Friends, the Christian life is kind of like this. We have been purchased. A, a treasure has been purchased for us. It has your name written on it. It's better than anything this world could ever offer, but to attain the treasure, the Lord calls us to forsake everything else that, might, that was once valuable to us. And what it is that we're called to forsake is the world and the things in the world. And to take Christ up, to enjoy him, to come to him, and to receive from him the eternal life that he brings in relationship with the Father. This is the invaluable treasure that God holds before you today. Christian, is that your treasure? Is your treasure what Christ offers to you in the embrace of the Father? Or is the love of the world what has your heart? Maybe you're here today and you're, you're not yet a Christian. You're not a Christian. And I just say to you, it, it makes a lot of sense that you would be obsessed with the things of this world. It makes sense. You haven't yet found the treasure that I'm talking about. You believe you've found treasure in the, the things of this world, the pleasure of this, of this world. That's why you, you may live your life for a partic- in a particular way. But those here, any of us you, you might see as crazy people, and we are a little bit crazy. We're crazy because we have tasted and seen the goodness of the love of our Father, and we've seen that it's a more lasting and invaluable treasure than anything this world can offer. Amen? Amen. It's not that we're better than anyone in this world. It's that we've tasted and seen the love of the Father. If you want to know more about experiencing that love, I just welcome you to come and talk to me. Afterwards, this is what the apostle wants us to get. What we have in the love of the Father is incomparably greater than anything in this world. 
Church, I could promise you, the Lord even, God could promise you the best sex, the best marriage, the best, you know, the best children, riches, fame, possessions, and experiences of your dreams, but they will soon pass away. They will pass away. And the Father's love will outweigh all of this beyond imagination into eternity. You'll never exhaust the riches of God's love, church. That's what John wants you to see. I was wrestling with this question as I prepared. What, what about the Father's love is so relevant for this exhortation this morning? Why does he contrast the love of the world with the love of the Father instead of, say, the love of Christ? I think that he wants us to know that it's sweeter than just forgiven sins, sweeter than the promise of heaven instead of hell, is the joy of knowing and being known by the Father. And why, why is that so important to him? To be known and fully loved by our Father, it produces in us the same kind of things that a good father produces in his children, namely security, joy, contentment, a deep sense of our identity and purpose. I think John sees that all of these things are being held out to us on a daily basis by the world. Everything that the world offers is come and taste. It's satisfying. Enjoy. And yet John wants us to see the love of the Father is going to give you that and far more. It's going to satisfy every desire of your heart. So let me ask you this morning, what, what does it say if you find that you have love for the world? If you Christians sit here today and you find that your heart is just drawn to all the pleasures of the world, you want to look like the world, you want to sound like the world, you want to taste the, the joys of the world, if, if that's you today, what does it say about you? Well, yes, it says you're in disobedience to God. Yes, it says that you need a renewed mind. But I think this passage says something more. I think this passage says you need to grow in your understanding of the Father's love. That you need to understand that the Father's love just so far outweighs anything you could ever enjoy in this world. So those who are here who are the most worldly, I would just say what you need is a greater understanding of the Father's love for you. That's what you need right now. If you're, if you're struggling with sin, if you're struggling with a desire for the world, you need to know afresh the Father's love. And this radically challenge, change, or, uh, challenges the way that we disciple people, doesn't it? If we, if we, we see somebody that continues to walk in sin, yes, we, we call them to repentance, but perhaps the main reason that someone will keep on going back to the same Filthy sins, the same worldly sins, is that they just simply don't know how much the Father loves them. So that's what we want to offer to our friends who are falling into sin, is a deeper understanding of the love of God. Pastor J.D. Greer wisely said this, love for God grows only in assurance of the love of God. Love for God grows only in the assurance of the love of God. In church, there was no one who knew this better than Jesus, right? Jesus was in this world. He was seduced by the same things that we were every single day. 
And yet he was so firm in his understanding of the Father's love that he wasn't, he, he never fell. He had heard the Father say to him at his baptism, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And so that even when he was in the, the desert and was starving, literally 40 days of fasting, and is tempted by the evil one to turn the bread into, or the stone into rock, he said, I don't, I don't live on bread alone. I live on the words of God, on every word that comes from my Father. Neither did Jesus crave the world's affirmation. He didn't strive for people to bow to him. Even, when, even though he was a king, he was secure in his position. He went to the cross. He chose not to call down legions of angels to, to bend people's wills. He was secure in, his, in the Father's love and in the Father's plan. When he was faced with the temptation to abandon the mission and despise the cup that God had given him to drink for our salvation, church, he didn't cling to the world he could see, but instead to the joy set before him. And so he endured the cross for you and I. He said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will. This is what we want, church, is to be a people that lives to please our God. Out of that knowledge and understanding of the love that God has dumped on us, we want to be people who do the will of God just as we see Jesus doing. Even when everything, his flesh, the world, and the devil is coming at him and saying, abandon it, he stays steadfast and says, not my will, but yours be done. Why did Jesus come and do all this? Church, we recount each week that in living and dying and rising again, he was putting the Father's love on display for us. He was showing us what we need to see every single day in order to overcome we need to taste and see. We come to this table and taste and see the goodness of the Lord. We come to see the love of the Father, that he kept pursuing us. The cross is proof that God keeps coming. Even when we are prone, church, to wander into all kinds of evil, the Father's uh, sending of the Son is proof to us that he'll just keep coming. He'll keep coming. You need to know that God's commitment to you it outweighs your own fickle heart. His adoption, his love for you outweighs your fickle heart. Isn't that good news for us today? That is the love that we're talking about. And I think, church, that this is the antidote that we need to overcome the world. The, the, father's, the father's love drives let me, let me say this again. This is the antidote we need today, that the Father's love drives him to keep pursuing us even when we have stumbled back into sin. This is what we need to know and see and hear. So today, church, with this glorious truth, here's what I wanna call you to. I wanna call you to repent of your desire, your, 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 even your satisfaction in the world. I want you to repent of competing loves that are of this world and are squeezing out your love for the Father. 
And I want you to believe the gospel today and marvel afresh at the love of the Father. With his love in mind, let us seek together to know what, what is pleasing to our God. And let us lean into God's word and into the church to strive to obey him. And again, it's all out of our knowledge of the love of God. So let's repent and let's walk in the Father's love in the will of God, church. I want us to pray now. Bring the band up. We're going to sing. Our Father in heaven, I just simply ask that you'd show us afresh your love for us, your commitment to us. For everyone in this room, Lord, that is wandering, that is straying like the prodigal, I ask that you would show them, Lord, that you're waiting, you're watching, you're like the the father in the prodigal story with eyes fixed on the road, waiting, longing for them to return. Lord, you keep pursuing us. You never give up on us. I just pray that you continue to show us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.